Good morning, Georgia. It is Eric Erickson here across the state of Georgia from the mountains to the Florida line, from the Chattahoochee to the Atlantic, covering the entire state. The phone number you want to be a part of the program, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425 is the number. We got a lot uh, going on today, and uh, the president of the United States has a lot going on. He's actually in New Delhi, headed for his hotel as Mark Nuller from CBS uh, noting uh, with a picture of the first lady waving from the back of the presidential limousine. Joining me from Washington is uh, Hogan Gidley. Welcome. How are you, sir? Oh, I'm doing great. Good morning. Thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. So, okay, first, I, I got to ask you, because um, I let's see, I'm, I'm reading that this is a campaign rally from the New York Times, and I'm reading from CNN that uh, the president's going to have to be vegetarian this week, and he's not going to like that. And I, I haven't yet actually found a story as to why the president is actually in India, other than, you know, it, it, the media is just so poisoned these days, you can't get a fair reading on stuff. <laughs> That's true. I think the media is just upset at the fact that the president of the United States can pull 125,000 people and the Democrat candidates for president can't pull 125. <laughs> so true. that's that's probably part of the probably uh, the, the resentment there. But look, this is about trade, uh, no doubt. Uh, the president wants to expand markets, particularly in the energy sector with India. We've talked about this many times in bilats with Prime Minister Modi uh, at many G7s and G20s and et cetera. This is going to be, um, you know, hopefully an expansion of that. I mean, uh, in 2017, they, they signed a strategic energy partnership um, that has paid major dividends, improved energy, energy security, encouraged production of more energy. And, um, you know, Indian imports of the United States crude oil, LNG and coal have gone up. In fact, um, we we've expanded our uh, exports to India uh, about 500 percent. Seven billion dollars, but there's still so much room to grow there as they're, um, you know, continuing to to focus some of their their economy is is on energy. So that's important for us, but also, um, you know, terrorism in the region as well. Uh, India is a, a partner and ally there. It's, it's democratic, and we want to you know safe and secure Indo-Pacific uh, region. And so, um, you know, they they. They are a strategic ally for us as well on the national security front. So it's it's going to be a whirlwind tour, no doubt, because you know you're only there for 36 hours. But nonetheless, any time you know a world leader comes to another country, you know when when anyone comes to the United States, we 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 put on a show. We we welcome them. We right. show them how you know how, how welcome they are here and how much we appreciate their partnership. This is no different. India wants to prove that, that they're partners and allies with the United States, and they are. And so that's what this is about. Well, you know, I want to ask you that. And, and if you're just tuning in, I'm talking to Hogan Gidley. He's the Deputy White House Press Secretary, the president being in uh, India for a tour there. I, Hogan, it is the largest democracy in the world, and the United States of the past, particularly under the Obama administration, could never seem to decide uh, how much of an alliance it wanted with India when there are so many people who look and say, uh, just given uh, the Chinese situation, uh, the the destabilizing situations in the Middle East, it, the, it, India should be a natural partner to us. And it, it, there seems to be a lot of confusion or has been confusion in the past in that relationship. Seems to be that way. Uh, but this president likes to do, um, you know, bilateral trade deals, as you know, what he's been able to accomplish with the, the historic trade deal for with Japan and with China. Uh, also, uh, the United States, Mexico, Canada agreement as well. He likes to work with these countries directly. He's done so here uh, and he'll continue 
to do that. I mean, the, the fact is we do have a partner and ally in India. Uh, Prime Minister Modi and the president of the United States have a good relationship. But we can expand those markets, and that's what this really is is all about. I mean, we, we, we want to work together and promote a vision of the free and open international system, uh, market uh, economics, good governance, all the things that um, India stands for, what we stand for. And so, um, you know, it, it, it makes sense for us to have that strategic partnership, and, and the president's only gone to enhance those relationships across the globe, and India is no different. I, I, you mentioned earlier the, the, the Democratic candidates. I, I want to get your reaction real quick on the story. I, I feel obligated to ask you this. It, it, it seems very clear from now CNN and, and Washington Post reporting, not the New York Times reporting, uh, but from every other media outlet, uh, that it, the president and his team it, it did not get the same heads up that the Bernie Sanders team got on uh, intelligence matters regarding Russia. And was wondering if you can uh, clarify that for the listeners as to what the actual story is there. Well, it's very interesting because, per usual, the media has been running with a, a fake, phony narrative that they just got from sources that strategically leak things. I mean, how many times does Adam Schiff or his staff have to lie to the, right. the media before they stop um, counting what he says as gospel? Uh, but this is one of those instances in which uh, there was a lot of leaks about the leaks. I mean, the whole thing is swirling around on itself. First, the narrative was one thing, then it became something else. Uh, because no one had the guts to go on the record until our administration did. And the two people that went on the record, uh, NSA O'Brien and Mark Short from the vice president's office, went on Sunday shows and said, listen, the president asked bluntly to Mr. McGuire, uh, sir, why did Bernie get this first? He wasn't angry at the admiral. He wasn't uh, you know, in, in some type of tirade. He just wanted to know what's the deal. So we went on the record saying this, and and everyone else who's trying to you know stay in the shadows and, and use the the willing accomplices in the media to do their bidding, um, and and who don't have the guts to actually put forth a real statement on the record, we do uh, because we know what what happened there, and um, it, it appears as though uh, we again are the only administration uh, recognizing the fact that other countries try and meddle in, in our elections. Mm -hmm. We know that. We've prepared for that. I mean, it was Barack Obama who knew about Russian election interference and did nothing about it. So uh, we, we're standing up and trying to make sure it doesn't happen in the future, and that's what we're going to keep doing. Well, uh, look, thank you for that, and, and don't mean to put you on the spot. I know you were calling it to talk about India. It's just, it seems like a ridiculous story, and everyone forgets what this president's done for Eastern European countries, including Ukraine, and, and uh, a president in Russia's well, pocket would not do that sort of stuff. Well, no, yeah, no question. And, and you know, the, this whole Russia narrative, I mean, they're, they're going back to the well here. It's, right. the same, it's the same junk they tried to peddle for two and a half years in this whole Mueller sham. And, and uh, look, we, we gave lethal aid to Ukraine. Barack Obama mm -hmm. didn't. We expelled hundreds of their um, diplomats here in this country back to Russia. We closed down diplomatic facilities across this country as well. We opened up and expanded energy exploration, which hurts uh, Russia's economy. I mean, those are types of things we did that Barack Obama never would do. So the fact uh, historical precedent proves we're the toughest administration on Russia, except for possibly Ronald Reagan. So uh, the idea that somehow um, you know we're, we're in cahoots with Russia is just a flat-out lie, and they know it. But for some reason, they're going back to the well with this because they think they can gain some ground. Well, and let me bring this full circle with the last question for you. I started with CNNs. I mean, literally, I got on on the web yesterday, having been gone for a while, to start doing research. And, and the the major story at CNN.com 
yesterday was not on the purpose of the president's trip to India, but that uh, he, he may not be able to eat beef because and now, by the way, I, I've been to India multiple times, having grown up in the Middle East and ate beef every single time I went to India. And it just it, it really does seem like everybody talks about media bias here, but it just seems that there's no way around the, the press trying to create soap opera with everything the president does. How do you guys operate moving forward with this where the media clearly tries to find a way to blame the president for anything that happens and won't cover a story if there's not a presidential angle? Right. It's it's not just media bias. It's media buffoonery. I mean, what they're pushing here is just a story about not eating meat. I mean, it's just it's just insanity. Ninety three percent of the you know coverage on this president's negative. The top three, ABC, NBC, CBS, so the big dog networks from September to uh, January of this year uh, covered uh, the economy about eight to nine minutes. And they covered impeachment in Ukraine uh, 900 minutes. Mm-hmm. Now, that's a clear Bias, and when you see, uh, you know, leaked audio, leaked video, proving that the New York Times, CNN, ABC, were all uh, designing, uh, you know, their 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 news platforms to try and erode this president's success or ignore it, um, it's it's terrifying. But what's so encouraging is, despite all of that, the president's numbers are through the roof right now in popularity. I mean, mm-hmm. 90% of this country believes they're, they're, they're doing pretty good. Right. Um, those are historic numbers. Uh, his numbers have turned around. And, and honestly, my little own political theory is you and I both have been in politics for a long time, Eric. I think when people went home for Thanksgiving and Christmas, they got with their family members, you know, immediate and extended and looked around the table and said, guys, we're doing a lot better than we were before. The the job prospects are there that weren't there in previous holiday seasons. And and this guy who's sitting in the Oval Office is the one changing policy to make sure our families can succeed. And and I think no amount of media coverage uh, in the negative of this president or trying to smear or slander this president is going to impact Real results for real families when they know they have more money in their pockets, they can spend more, they can save more, they're making more because of this president and his policies, and that's going to win the day every time. Okay, Gidley, thank you very much for stopping by, and good luck to the president on this trip. Thanks so much. Have Thank a great you. day. You too. Hogan Gidley, Deputy White House Press Secretary, the president in India, and that was the purpose of the call. Uh, but I, I was, I really, I was struck yesterday. I went to CNN.com. This was the major story. This was the number one story above the fold at CNN.com yesterday as the president began his trip to India. This is the headline. I have never seen him eat a vegetable. Trump braces for a beef-free menu in India. This, this is the, the beginning of the story, the, the lead here. When, when President Donald Trump travels abroad, be it to Saudi Arabia or Singapore, his hosts usually try to make him feel at home with his favorite meal, steak, with miniature bottles of ketchup on the side. But what's a beef lover to do in India? The president, whose diet is often a rotation of steaks, burgers, and meatloaf, faces a potential shock as he prepares to travel to three Indian cities this week. His trip includes stops in Gujarat state, Agra, and Delhi, where Hindus are the majority and cows are revered as sacred. In some neighborhoods, meat eating is so taboo it's not done in public. Trump's host, Prime Minister Narendra Modi, has gone out of his way to generate an elaborate reception for the president, including hosting a massive rally in the world's largest cricket stadium and arranging a tour of the Taj Mahal. And then very passively, aggressively, they put in parentheses, the real one, not the namesake Atlantic City Casino that Trump once owned. 
This was the lead story on CNN on Sunday as the president headed to India. Now, listen for a contrast. This is actually from CBS News. Listen to this. India rolled out its red carpet for the president. Citizens of the world's largest democracy lined the streets as he kicked off his two-day tour. Throngs in ball caps emblazoned with the president's name packed what's been called the world's largest cricket stadium to hear from Mr. Trump at his biggest rally yet. Thank you for the spectacular welcome to your magnificent country. The event in Ahmedabad was called Namaste Trump, and it served as India's answer to the Howdy Modi event in Houston in honor of its prime minister last fall. You are living proof that with hard work and devotion, Indians can accomplish anything, anything at all, anything they want. The president is overwhelmingly popular here in India, where his pro-business, tough-on-terror image is widely admired. Before he left Washington Sunday, Mr. Trump faced questions about reports Russia is working to get him re-elected. I have not been briefed on that at all. Nobody told me about it. On Face the Nation, his national security advisor said the same. We just haven't seen that intelligence. Sources say the president became irate when he learned lawmakers had been briefed on the intelligence community's assessment. We're going to leave it there because listen to how that's covered. The president gets this, this big tour of India. Massive crowd turns out. He's very popular in India. They love the image of the of the tough on terrorism, right on business guy. He and the prime minister of India have a great relationship. Hey, let's talk about the Russian intelligence. It's it's you know think about Barack Obama on the campaign trail in twenty six or in, in two thousand eight, the arrogance when he flew to Berlin to give a big speech in Berlin. He, he was the Democrats' Reagan, going to stand in front of the Berlin, where the Berlin Wall had been, the Brandenburg Gate, going to give a big speech in Berlin, and the media went nuts over it. The media went insane over Obama on the campaign trail, not even elected president yet, with a huge celebration. And they gave it wall-to-wall coverage. Everyone was there. It was the lead in the news. And there was there was nothing about Hillary Clinton. It was all glowing praise of Barack Obama. Here comes the president of the United States to India, the world's largest democracy, on a trade mission to a country where he's hugely popular. And what does the media do? That they they want to run silly stories about he's not going to have a steak for supper, and that's going to upset him, and it's going to be a campaign event. I keep going back to the story. The Russians are buying airtime on local stations in this country and broadcasting the voice of Moscow, the Soviet-era radio propaganda network rebranded as Sputnik News or Sputnik Radio now. The only reason the Russians are able to do this is because the American media has so abused the trust of the American public, people are looking for alternatives, and they're going to Vladimir Putin to get the alternative. That's a damning indictment on the American press, and they choose to ignore it. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. If you're just joining me, the president is in India. Hogan Gidley stopped by to... Uh, chat about that at the top of the hour and the democrats are in complete meltdown over bernie sanders man you've got a number of of democratic congresswomen from florida who are blowing bernie sanders up this morning for this comment on a 60 minutes interview last night 
Here he is explaining why the Cuban people didn't rise up and help the U.S. overthrow Cuban leader Fidel Castro. He educated the kids, gave them health care, totally transformed the society. We're very opposed to the authoritarian nature of Cuba. But, you know, you got, it's unfair to simply say everything is bad. You know, when Fidel Castro came into office, you know what he did? He had a massive literacy program. Is that a bad thing? Even though Fidel Castro did it? There's a lot of dissidents imprisoned in, in Cuba. That's right. And we condemn that. Unlike Donald Trump, let's be clear, you want to, I do not think that Kim Jong-un is a good friend. I don't trade love letters. <laughs> you know, North Korea has a 99% literacy rate. Maybe, may, at least that's what they claim. Maybe Bernie Sanders should, should be proud of them. Y'all, this is crazy that Bernie Sanders is on national television praising the Cuban dictator for his literacy program. That is, I, I mean, I'm I'm actually impressed he was willing to do that. And, but that's part of the problem with Sanders, is it not? I actually want to spend some time on the Sanders stuff this morning because he's causing a major conniption fit for the Democrats around the country right now. Uh, There's actually a story in New York Magazine today as a story that Mike Bloomberg's staff have taken to calling Joe Biden's donors and yelling at them for continuing to fund Joe Biden, saying they're going to make Bernie Sanders the nominee if they don't start backing Mike Bloomberg. Now, for perspective, Joe Biden actually has delegates in the Democratic primary, and Mike Bloomberg has zero delegates. He, he's not even on the ballot until March, and yet the Bloomberg team thinks that people need to stop backing Biden and start backing Bloomberg. Uh, over to you, James Carville. Right. Well, I, first of all, I, I, I will mention names that I get any number of calls from panic congressional incumbents. I, 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 I know what's happening out there. I got a good, a, a real good idea. The entire theory that by expanding the electorate, increasing turnouts, you can win the election is, is the equivalent of climate denying. All right. That when people say that they're as stupid to a political scientist is, is a climate denier is to an atmospheric scientist. So, so whatever you do, if you want to vote for Bernie Sanders because you feel good about his program, uh, because you, you don't like the, the, the banks on Wall Street or you don't like pharmaceuticals, that's completely legitimate. I understand that. If you voting for him, because you think he'll win the election because he'll galvanize heretofore uh, sleepy parts of the electorate, then politically you're a fool. And that's just a fact. It, 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 it's no denying it. There's so, much, there's so much political science, there's so much research on this that it's not even a debatable question. And if, if people are praised to this and they know that and they want to do it as Democrats, that's their own business. But I don't think that they have all of the facts that they need before they make this judgment going forward. You know, Carville is out there telling people there's no way Sanders wins, but he'll vote for Sanders in November. And you're getting that from a lot of Democrats. It's I find it personally very funny that for four years, the Democrats have told everyone that Donald Trump is an authoritarian racist. And now they're going to back a communist anti-Semite. Oh, but Sanders is Jewish. Okay. So he's out blowing up AIPAC today, the American-Israeli Public Affairs Committee. They're now blowing him up in return. Uh, Sanders surrounds himself with a bunch of people who hate Jews, including Ilhan Omar and others. Uh, This is going to come back to biting. But 
here's the thing you need to understand, and I'm real serious here. Sanders actually has a viable path forward. Uh, it is a path the Democratic establishment doesn't recognize anymore, but he's got a path forward, and Republicans should not be super confident about the president's reelection. Confident, sure, but Sanders actually is electable, and I want to explain that to you when we come back here on The Eric Erickson Show. You can. As a matter of fact, the phone lines are open. 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. The thing is, look, in 2016, there was a rebellion in both parties. Uh, And the Republican Party took the form of Donald Trump. The Democratic Party took the form of Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders, who was written off as sort of like, you know, Dennis Kucinich, you know, know, redo, got 47% of our vote in 2016. You can't forget that. And so people thought, well, now Hillary can go on and become president. She didn't, and Bernie never stopped. I was in San Francisco like three years ago, and Bernie was there talking about Medicare for All all, with 8,000 people, and it wasn't even making the news. So the rebellion never stopped, and uh, I think that's what you're seeing. And and why is it? Uh, I think you've made a very good point. There is a lot of pain at the bottom of our party. There's a lot of pain in this country that doesn't get talked about enough. And he speaks to that over and over and over again. And I think that there's a power that comes in being witness, Mm. being recognized in your pain and in your suffering. And to feel like somebody's consistent about that. So listen, he's not wrong. The establishment is upset. And and there's another station, another channel, there's other things going on tonight where people are freaking out, melting (laughs) down all across the country, at least all over the airwaves. And that's that's real. But it's also not just witness. (laughs) He's talking about MSNBC. That's Van Jones on CNN. Uh, Total meltdown on MSNBC. In fact, there are calls for Chris Matthews to be fired uh, for comparing uh, Bernie Sanders to the rise of Hitler. Matthews is warning Democrats they're not going to win in November. I I, want to be very honest with you and candid here. I don't mean to make anyone mad. I'm always amazed at, at what can trigger people. Uh, And we should acknowledge that Bernie Sanders does have a path to victory uh, in the Electoral College, believe it or not. Uh, He does. And, and, you know, he's he's actually I want to read for you. In fact, where where is this? Uh, I'm yeah, I bookmarked this this thread. And it's worth noting uh, Luke Thompson uh, who was with the National Republican Senatorial Committee. He wrote this tweet thread and he's right. It may not be as easy as a Mike Bloomberg win, but you got to remember uh, one of the things Hillary Clinton did in 2016 is she decided to try to beat Donald Trump by making inroads into the suburbs. And it certainly paid off dividends for the Democrats in some ways. Uh, it, it helped them pick up seats like, for example, uh, in 2018, it didn't help Hillary Clinton, but it evolved to some degree with ground game operations. So by 2018, Democrats were more competitive in some swing districts that, that had not previously been swingy, like Karen Handel's district here in the 6th Congressional District in Georgia that went to Lucy McBath. And Republicans are privately grumbling on, on whether or not they can take it back or not the, this time. Well, Bernie Sanders helps them tremendously in that. But... Here, uh, this from Luke Thompson, it is absolutely possible for Bernie Sanders to win. He probably has the widest path to the White House among the Democrats. Multiple factors are causing media types to underrate Bernie. First and foremost, 
Our horse race political media isn't sending their best. They're sending fabulists. They're sending grifters. Some, I'm sure, are good people. It's also a very homogenous culture. Most of them have similar backgrounds, educations, and beliefs. That makes for a lot of groupthink and creates powerful incentives to play along or parrot the conventional wisdom. These folks tend to fetishize the suburbs and overrate their importance in statewide races. At present, the burbs determine who will control the House. They're only part of the story for who wins the White House and the Senate, which comes down to a dozen statewide elections. Base voter mobilization in rural and urban areas is important to statewide elections. It matters in the burbs, especially as their demographic makeup changes. But persuasion is generally the name of the game here. And while, again, that's important and it's not everything, Bernie will do worse in the suburbs than other Democrats would. But he will likely do better in rural areas. The big question is Democratic-based mobilization. Bernie turns out young people. He's doing well with Latino voters. We don't know how he's going to do with black voters, especially older black voters in a general. Last time he struggled in the primary. This time it's up in the air. That'll be key in the states of the upper Midwest. But there's no reason to believe he'd do worse than Amy or Pete. That's Klobuchar or Buttigieg. So let's look at the states. Trump is defending Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania, which combined for 56 electoral votes. Florida has another 29. Bernie probably gives Trump Florida and uh, Nebraska's second congressional district. Nebraska divides up its electoral college votes. But it'll be competitive in the Rust Belt states. Prairie socialism and blue-collar statism are real. By contrast, Trump has some low-hanging fruit on the electoral map. New Hampshire, Minnesota, and Maine's uh, electoral college vote are all reachable, especially given the high third-party voting in Minnesota. But that's 16 electoral college votes combined. Bernie would likely do well in Minnesota and New England. Or at least there's no reason to think another Democrat would do better other than Amy Klobuchar in Minnesota, obviously, because she's the senator from there. So the little low-hanging fruit Trump has is a good match for Sanders' candidacy. So Sanders, much more than other Democrats, checks Trump's ability to grow. He probably grows Donald Trump's margins in North Carolina, Florida, Arizona, and Georgia and shrinks his own margins in Virginia, but he would likely hold uh, Nevada, Colorado, and New Mexico and Virginia. At the same time, Sanders might be the death knell for the uh, Democrats in the suburbs and he poses real problems for Democrats in the Senate in Arizona, Colorado, and Georgia. That means while he's got a fairly wide path to the White House, it's hard to see a path to unified Democratic government under Sanders. And he's got major downside risk for Democrats if he can't keep the coalition together. Say rural white voters decide to stick with Donald Trump at record uh, rates again, or Sanders has mobilization problems with black voters. Uh, the upmarket moderates defect in mass to, to who knows where. The result, Bernie brings with him the highest odds of unified Republican government, and that's what terrifies progressive commentators. If Trump wins re-election, does he retake the House or does the Democratic House majority survive? This is the, the issue here. Bernie Sanders can really win. And Republicans who are cheering on the idea of a Sanders candidacy need to remember the Democrats in 2016 were convinced, dogmatically convinced, that there was no way Donald Trump could win. And in fact, the Hillary Clinton team encouraged people to get into the Republican primary to make Donald Trump happen. And look what happened. Donald Trump wound up winning. And what do the Democrats have to do? The Democrats had to start saying, well, it was the Russians who stole the election. They couldn't admit how unlikable Hillary Clinton was. To this day, Democrats refuse to admit that Hillary Clinton was a terrible candidate. To this day, Democrats refuse to admit that Hillary Clinton screwed things up. 
And the Democrats now are in a complete abject total meltdown over Bernie Sanders. And the reason is not because of Sanders. The reason is the Senate. Because Sanders could win the White House and Mitch McConnell could refuse to confirm another judge. They want the Senate. And Bernie hurts Democrats' chances in the Senate and also in suburban swing districts. So even if Bernie Sanders won, here's the other thing. Even if Bernie Sanders won, the odds are that the Republicans, if they don't in 2020, by 2022, they take back the House. But there's something even more important than that you got to remember. What else is on the ballot in 2020? Anybody? Rhetorical question. You don't have to call in for this. But seriously, what else is on the ballot? It's not just president. It's not just 33 Senate, 34 Senate races. It's state houses and state senates around the nation. Do you know the importance of the state houses and the state senates around the nation? Redistricting. Bernie Sanders causes a problem. Bernie Sanders will give them heartbeat. It's redistricting. Redistricting. They're going to have a problem. And the reason they're going to have a problem is because Bernie Sanders in the suburbs does really, really bad with women, with white voters, and with others. And do you know why Bernie Sanders does bad in the suburbs and Hillary Clinton didn't? Despite a lot of data out there showing suburban voters tend to be, uh, they're, they're moderate voters, they are super conservative when it comes to their 401k. And if you screw with the voters 401k, they're going to have their revenge. And for the longest time, suburban voters, including up to the run up to 2018, suburban voters thought that Donald Trump was going to undermine their 401k. Suburban voters thought that if they went with Donald Trump, uh, they, they were going to go broke. Their retirement was going to go in the trash. The president was going to tank the stock market. It turns out he didn't. Stock market is still getting to all-time highs. Except today, we'll get to that in a minute. Um, and and Bernie Sanders now comes along and wants to completely undermine the existing American economy. That's not going to play well in the suburbs. By the way, the Dow is down 804 points right now, 15 minutes after markets opened, 804 points down. NASDAQ's down 281 points. Uh, the New York Stock Exchange itself up, is down 366 points. Uh, all major stocks uh, indices are down because of the coronavirus. Remember all that talk two weeks ago and last week that, hey, the coronavirus, it, we're, we're doing well. It seems like we've beaten it. It's, it's going to be, nope. Turns out cases are exploding all over the world. I want to spend time on that when we come back. But so the markets are down today, but it has, it has everything to do with the coronavirus in China. It has nothing to do with the president's policies. The president's policies have stabilized him. Bernie Sanders, he, he's got himself some problems here. And the media, of course, totally freaking out about this. Uh, here's Joy Reid on MSNBC. Voter, and you know that 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 buying Florida, he's going to have to figure out, like, if I don't have Florida, and I will tell you that I'm almost 125,000 percent confident that he would not get it. Where is his pathway? That's that's just the yeah. sensibility of the voter. Yeah. I mean, it, 
and, that, and Marie, I mean, I'm sorry, the, um, the Kareen with Barack Ooh. Obama, you know, we made the point early, it didn't work because, you know, they tried to create, you know, he's a Kenyan Marxist, all the stuff that was just yeah. ridiculous. And they did try to use the same sort of, it just didn't work with him. What happens when parts of it are true, right? When you have tape of him praising, you know, Fidel Castro, like that's the stuff that hasn't come out yet. What happens and how does Russia wind up being able to weaponize that just so that we're prepared for it? And by the yeah. way, for the Sanders supporters on social media, where this isn't to slam him. You need to know this, too. If you support yeah. him, you need to know this is coming. So go ahead, Kareem. Yeah, the opposition research. Here's George Stephanopoulos making largely the same point on ABC News. They know they know. There's a lot of dirt on Bernie Sanders. The question is, who's going to take these questions surrounding socialism to, to Bernie Sanders at the debate? Well, I think right now, everybody, here's a, there's a two-part problem. One, everybody's about to do that. And the problem is you need one person. And, we do, and, it's, and it's, this happened, we saw it in 2016. I want to get back to this one point. The coalition that President Clinton and President Obama put together, a coalition for congressional majorities in both 06 and 2018, is totally different from anything Bernie Sanders is talking about. He doesn't care about that metropolitan majority welcoming independent swing voters from the suburbs into the Democratic Party. This has been tried. We just saw it in Great Britain. Jeremy Corbyn went down dramatically. And this is upending. Now, it may prove something that has not been proven. And politics and economics and culture and social issues have upended that and scrambled the uh, egg, so to say. But I think this is a strategy. And here's a test. Not one of the congressional Democrats who flipped a red to blue district in 2018 have come out and endorsed that. Yeah, you notice that? Uh, not a single one of the Democrats who flipped a district from the Republicans to the Democrats in 2018 is endorsing Bernie Sanders. We'll see how he stands up. Yeah, who is the messenger? See, I agree with Sarah about him being vetted, but who's going to do it? I, you know, the gun question wasn't asked. Now, imagine this. Forget about the other candidates. We've, we've done on seven panel, hours on Medicare for all right. in the last nine debates and not one. On, on the panel, issue. no one asked the question on guns. If that were a Republican debate with that same panel of journalists, you could guarantee that guns would be an early on question. So that's one problem. Who's going to do the vetting? The press doesn't seem to want to do the vetting on this. Secondly, which of those candidates is going to show the aptitude, George, to really vet Bernie Sanders? You've got to give him credit. Sanders has stood up there in the middle of that stage. When Donald Trump was in the middle of the stage, people were hitting him. Yeah, not Bert, that much. No, no, no. Listen, the press certainly was. The media press, was, yeah, right? But, but that's what I'm saying. There's two elements of a debate, right, that can hurt you. Either the questions that are being asked, how aggressive the panelists are at you, or your opponents. In this instance, Sanders has skated with both. Uh-huh, he has, because they had to go after Bloomberg. This is, you know, Donald Trump got more attacks on the stage in 2016 from Republicans than uh, what Bernie Sanders has gotten. And, and you know, the, the thing that people forget about Donald Trump is that he punched back harder on the stage. Sanders has not done that, but they've avoided doing this to Sanders. It's actually kind of funny to see. And the moderates, of course, in Nevada are breaking up. Sanders, we, we still don't, by the way, know the total vote in Nevada. Uh, it was on Saturday, and we still haven't gotten finals from Nevada. We know Sanders won. We just don't know how many delegates he's gotten yet. Uh, John Ralston, one of the big reporters out in Nevada, people pay attention to, talking about what happened with the moderates in Nevada over the weekend. White voters uh, didn't call themselves liberal, called themselves more moderate conservative, a lot of Hispanics, a lot of African Americans, and they still ended up supporting Bernie Sanders. 
Listen, I, I think that moderates and, and, and the slightly to the right of center Democrats are still flailing about, right, Chuck? They don't know which of these non-Bernie candidates to choose. And so that splits up that vote, and that allows Bernie Sanders to even do well in that cohort. Is it going to be Mayor Pete? Is it going to be Elizabeth Warren, even Amy Klobuchar? And so they all split up that vote. That is part of the reason, beyond his phenomenal organization and his messaging to young people, that Bernie Sanders is now the clear front runner. Bernie Sanders is the front runner. The moderates are divided. And here's a dirty little secret. Behind the scenes, some of the Democrats actually aren't upset about Bernie Sanders. Behind the scenes, some of them kind of like it. Now, they're divided on their liking. Some like it because they actually like his policies, even if they can't publicly admit it right now. Others like it because they see the Democratic Party being taken over by a young progressive movement, and they don't like it. And they think that Sanders going down to defeat at Trump's hands will cause a purge of the party of these little troublemakers. Uh, but either way, they're kind of okay with Sanders rising right now because it serves their further purposes. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Joining me from Decatur is Jim. Welcome. Oh, thank you. Well, you have to ask yourself, how did they get themselves, the Democrats, into this position? Well, first off, there are no pro-market people for pro-free market people and the Democratic candidates right now outside of Mike Bloomberg. Good luck with him. <laughs> and so that's why the candidates and a lot, a lot of the people in the party aren't freaking out. Of course, I think some of the freaking out that's going on among the leaders is they can remember what happened after Bill Clinton's first two years right. when he went hard left campaigned as a new Democrat, went hard left, got slammed in 94, and behaved himself after that like a new Democrat. And Obama decided to fib a little on, um, if you like your plan, you can keep your right. plan, and got slammed, and well, sort, of, sort of behaved himself after that. Now they've got somebody who's just out in the open, left-wing, and enough Democrats think they want that right now. And so they're stuck with it. Right. And, you and know, so the, Jim, there's a, something else here as well. It's is a lot of the older Democrats were teenagers uh, when McGovern campaigned against Richard Nixon. <laughs> and they yeah, remember, remember the complete that. meltdown uh, of the Democratic Party in 1972, where Nixon ran uh, hard on crime against the hippies, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it, it hurt the Democrats badly. They were only saved by the Watergate scandal in 76. And there are a lot of older Democrats. This was the I played the audio of Chris Matthews the other day. Let me see if I can find this. This is worth playing um, because this is Chris Matthews's big concern. Where, where is Matthews here? Listen. And I hope that the candidates uh, who have been telegraphing their punches against Sanders, Senator Sanders, are actually going to deliver them. I mean, I hope they actually do what they promised to do. Are they going to go after him about the bad behavior of, of Bernie's supporters or not? Is this how they do things in Denmark? Nobody just says the obvious. Bernie, you're full of it. None of this is going to get passed. They're just pandering to the Bernie people. And you know what? Pandering gets you nothing. It certainly doesn't get your respect. They've got to get out there and say, I disagree with socialism. 
I believe in the markets. Right. I think he's wrong. I think he'll never get it done. And in this country, we'll never go that direction. And by the way, we'll lose 49 states. And I was there in, in 1972 at the Democratic Convention where the people yeah. on the left were yeah. dancing in glee. I saw them. They were literally, John Kenneth Galbraith, dancing in a circle. They were so happy that they defeated right. the moderates by Tip O'Neill and Dick Daly. And they went on to lose 49 states in their glee. So that can happen again. So they're so worried about that. They, they've got to be true. Look, they have poured all of this energy into beating Donald Trump for four years. And now they're on the verge of a guy nominating a guy who's got a path. It is a path the Democratic elite don't understand. And, and I want to talk about that some when we come back. In addition to the coronavirus stuff, it is a path the Democrats don't understand. But nobody on the Democratic side is willing to really speak up and take on Bernie Sanders. You know, at least the Republicans went after Donald Trump, but Donald Trump punched back hard. Sanders can't punch back hard, but nobody wants to punch him to begin with. I want to take a quick time out to thank a sponsor this week. And I got to tell you, I'm a fan because of what Blue Vine does, being a small business owner. You know, so the radio show, you're listening to my podcast. It is of my morning radio show. You know, I don't even make a salary off this thing. I'm still trying to grow advertisers. And so thanks to Blue Vine for that. But it's a small business. And I've got other people to that I've got to pay on payroll. I've got expenses I've got to meet for satellite and costs uh, for distribution, editing, production, things like that. So I I'm not actually making a salary on any of this stuff. Uh, as a result, I am a small business uh, looking to grow, looking for advertisers, and I understand what it means to reinvest. I also know what it means to need access to capital. And running a business, I mean, it is a challenge. Securing extra cash flow doesn't have to be a challenge. Blue Vine helps you get a line of credit. It's fast, it's easy, it's simple. There are so many headaches in running a business. Uh, you shouldn't have to worry about stuff like that. Blue Vine's actually an easy, fast way to help support your business growth with a line of credit up to $250,000. Whether you need the money to offset upfront costs, secure inventory, pay an unexpected expense, through Blue Vine, you can help yourself and your business stay secure for any reason. There's no fee to set up your line of credit. Blue Vine never charges maintenance or prepayment fees. Applying is very easy. You just go to getbluevine.com slash Eric. For listeners of The Eric Erickson Show, Blue Vine is offering a special limited time promotion, a $100 gift card when you take out a loan or open a line of credit with Blue Vine. You go to getbluevine.com slash Eric, E-R-I-C-K, for more details. All you have to do is go to getbluevine.com slash Eric and apply. It's quick, it's easy, it's a meaningful way to help your business in as little as 24 hours. The promotional offer, it's subject to terms and conditions. You can find those at getbluevine.com slash Eric. And thank you to Blue Vine for sponsoring the show. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show across the state of Georgia, from the North Georgia Mountains to the Florida line, from the Chattahoochee to the Atlantic. We cover the whole state and the phone number if you want to be a part of the program. 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. I'm going to begin this hour with a very personal story. <laughs> y'all, y'all. I had to fly to Colorado on Friday to give a speech to the leadership program of the Rockies at the Broadmoor Hotel in Colorado Springs, which I've never been to. What an incredible place. I, I want to go back and take the family. So I fly out there, and, and there's a, a man right in front of me, and uh, he's in row one. I'm in row two, and he's with his kids. They're going on a ski trip, and he recognizes me and asks if I would take a picture with his son, which I'm 
I was totally fine. I was totally not dressed to be doing uh, photos, but I did. Uh, so then the woman across from me wanted a picture. And then the flight attendant uh, came up and asked if she could get a picture. And then it was one of those things where, where people were awkwardly walking to the front of the plane, uh, pretending to go to the bathroom and side-eyeing me to see who is this guy. And of course, they didn't know who I was. Uh, <laughs> it was so awkward. But, but, but. So I get out there. Give my speech. I go out Friday, drive from Denver to Colorado Springs, uh, and then drive back uh, Saturday after my speech and so I can be home Sunday night. I get on the plane in Denver. I am in row four. Yes, I am flying first class. I make no bones about it. And as I am standing trying to get to my seat, the woman sitting by the window, I've got the aisle seat. She's got the window. She is already throwing up. Now, I had seen her uh, before the plane. She was in a wheelchair. Her husband and a doctor were with her, uh, and they were getting her on the plane. And I get on the plane, and she is puking in the little doggy bag on the plane. And just trying to, I mean, she. I felt so bad for her. I really did. I mean, she looked absolutely miserable. And I'm thinking, oh, Lord, I'm sitting next to someone who has the flu. And I sit down and I grab the little, little throw-up bag in, in my seat back pocket. And, and I hand it to her and say, you might need a, another one of these. And she, looks, she says, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I've never been here before. And I have altitude sickness and my husband and my doctor are making me leave. I've thrown up for 24 hours. I felt so bad for this poor woman. And they had given her Dramamine and a leave. And she was still throwing up. And it's a two hour, 45 minute, three hour flight from Denver. And we got stuck on the runway because of wind. And then we left and were, we had to change routes because of turbulence and we hit the turbulence and it was like scenes from the exorcist in row four. It was so bad. And I felt so sorry for the woman and I was so disgusted that, you know, I got to give a shout out to the Delta flight attendant who let me uh, come hang out with him in the galley as she's throwing up despite the turbulence. Um, I'm up there just trying to, to not get thrown up on. And as we start to land in Atlanta, it gets even worse for her. And she starts throwing up again. And it is like 10. We should have been in an eight. We're in at like 10 o'clock. Uh, and it's I get off the plane. I've sat next to this woman on and off for four and a half hours. The flight attendant at one point came up to me, and gave me a glass of bourbon and said, here, the alcohol will kill the germs. <laughs> so I land in Atlanta. And I call my Chris Burns, who guest hosts for me on this program. I, I, I have a text from him, so I text him back to see if he's still up, and he is. So I call him immediately and said, please, please, can I come by your house on my way home and change clothes? And told him what happened. He was kind enough to meet me with a glass of bourbon. <laughs> I went to his house. I had to completely clean up. Oh, it was disgusting. I had to change my clothes. I literally, I got to his house, got my suitcase put on dirty clothes that I had worn on the plane ride out to Colorado and it didn't want to put my didn't want to put my other clothes uh, in the suitcase because I had my suit in the suitcase so I carried the dirty clothes in, in a plastic bag out to my car went back in cleaned up again uh, sat and visited for a few minutes just bleh, and then drove home I, I got home sometime after midnight uh, back to Macon 
And then by one o'clock in the morning was doing laundry. I mean, I had nobody was awake. I had stripped down and was cleaning everything after being there and then got in the shower and, and completely cleaned up at, at home. Oh, it was, it was so awful. I sprayed my car with Lysol. Uh, it was, it was bad. I bring all that up to say, here's your coronavirus update. I, I had to, I had to joke with poor Chris. Like, I'm sorry if I give your family the coronavirus. <laughs> I felt so bad for that woman. And, and I, I made sure she was okay. Before I left, uh, they let her off the plane first because she had to con- catch a uh, connecting flight. And I made sure she was okay. I, I did encourage her to get some fluids, uh, on, on, she seemed to have been, once we got stable in Atlanta and she was out of the Rockies, she, she, I mean, she had thrown up everything she could throw up. I'm pretty sure, uh, eight, eight doggy bags on the plane, eight of the little puke bags on the plane. I felt so sorry for her. I really did. Uh, made sure she was okay before I left. Um, and she was, she was so embarrassed too. And now you want to know the kicker of this. I, I say all of this to know that, that one day I want this show to do extremely well so I can have a private jet subscription to like NetJets or something. Cause I'm so tired of flying, uh, and getting it, it's it, listen, I, I don't, if you ever want to come up and like yesterday I was in the grocery store, had my earbuds in it, and a guy came up and, and just said, Mr. Erickson, I love your show. I heard you complaining, talking on the radio about people interrupting you in the grocery store. And I was like, Dude, no, it's it's fine. Um, it was the people in the grocery store who just want to engage in a substantive, long-winded discussion on politics uh, while I'm trying to trying to grocery shop is is what kind of bothers me. So I have been wearing my earbuds in the store, and I don't mind people wanting to take. I really don't mind someone wanting to take a picture with me. But it just it was the start of the cavalcade of everybody else wanting pictures taken, and then the awkward people walking past trying to figure out who I was. But the really one was the woman just throwing up nonstop four and a half hours. I mean, before we even took off, before I. Was even in my seat. She's throwing up. I'm thinking, can I, can I, can I, what do I, what do I need to do to get really successful and rich so I can have net jets, or, or can I find a sugar daddy or something? It was bad. Oh man. Well, the the coronavirus. Uh, she she was she made sure to let me know she did not have coronavirus. It was just altitude sickness. And the coronavirus situation is getting out of control uh, globally. Now the Dow had been down uh, 15 minutes after the markets opened. The Dow was down over eight. 800 points. It has rebounded slightly. It's down only 719 points now. NASDAQ down 262 points, uh, 13 after the hour here. Uh, and uh, the New York Stock Exchange overall down 359 points. It is all a reaction to the coronavirus, which we were assured by our, our betters in the media that the coronavirus situation was improving. I mean, this was the talking point. Distinctly, I remember this last week. The media is saying we were actually improving the situation, that the situation was improving, the situation was on the rebound, and we were going to be fine. And now suddenly you've got churches in Milan and Venice are canceling mass, the Catholic Church canceling mass in Italy. So tomorrow is Mardi Gras. And in Venice, it's a huge deal, and they're canceling the annual festivities in Venice because of the coronavirus. They hadn't done that in in a long time. In Iran, they're canceling schools because of coronavirus. In other parts of Europe, they're limiting social interactions. Uh, We've now got reports in South America as well uh, that there are uh, limited interactions and quarantines. In South Korea, there is a mile and a half long line of people trying to buy face masks. 
Korean cities. They, they've uh, basically they've gone to I, I think they call it a, a red emergency in South Korea. I think that was the term I read earlier. Uh, that is the highest level emergency in South Korea. It allows the government to begin quarantining cities. They're beginning quarantining cities in in South Korea. And by the way, we have a federal judge in California who has prohibited a quarantine in Southern California. There are people in Southern California who have the coronavirus. And there is a hospital in Southern California that is used as a quarantine treatment facility. The government of California and the United States government have insisted on taking people there, and a federal judge is blocking them from taking people to that hospital in that city, claiming the city needs more information. Now, there are a couple of things you need to know. Uh, this country has a more robust healthcare system than many of those that are uh, dealing with the situation right now. You, you will note the trend lines are uh, China, South Korea has problems, uh, Italy has problems, Iran has problems. Uh, most of those, including Italy, by the way, vastly more dysfunctional than the United States. That is something you do have to you, you do have to be mindful of, uh, and you also have a, a situation where we do have better healthcare facilities and better access to healthcare in this country, and uh, you do have to understand that we have become so dependent on China for a host of issues that it is becoming problematic economically for us. To deal with the situation in, uh, in the world globally because of the problem. Now, here's the uh, – I want to read you this from Axios. This is – I'm, I'm stumbling because I'm trying to find this. Uh, about 150 prescription drugs, including antibiotics, generics, and some branded drugs without alternatives, are at risk of shortage if the coronavirus outbreak in China worsens, said two sources familiar with the list of at-risk drugs compiled by the FDA. China is a huge supplier of the ingredients used to make drugs that are sold in the United States. The FDA declined to comment on the list, but said in a statement that it's keenly aware that an outbreak could affect the medical product supply chain. In response to reporting from Axios, Senator Josh Howley said today he's sending a letter to the FDA calling the degrees of U.S. reliance on China for drugs inexcusable. Lawmakers have voiced this concern before, including Adam Schiff, who wrote in an op-ed last year in the Washington Post, depending on any single supplier for such life-saving goods would be troubling, but when the supplier is China at a time of rising tension and conflict, it's a national security issue that demands the attention of the administration and Congress. Now, what are the drugs? The FDA is, is declining to comment on the list, but there are 150 of those drugs, I'm trying to find listings for them, but it's it's actually kind of hard to find the listings of what those drugs are. Uh, but again, antibiotics, among other things, are there. Now, uh, new cases of the coronavirus have been rocking the stock markets of Japan, South Korea, and Italy. As those countries are ratcheting up to the situation, Asian stock markets tanked overnight. Uh, the South Korean index dropped 4%. Australia's dropped 2.3%. Hong Kong's dropped 1.8%. Uh, Asian Pacific stocks outside Japan touched uh, their lowest uh, since early February. Current 
currencies are being sold off, led by the Japanese yen and the Korean won, have fallen to their lowest levels. The euro clawed back some losses against the dollar after dropping last week. The S&P 500 futures were down. The S&P right now is down. The South Korean president is calling for emergency steps in this time of emergency. That's his actual phrase, emergency steps in this time of emergency. There are 150 new cases of the coronavirus Uh, The number has grown to 833 infections in South Korea. Italy has introduced emergency measures, including quarantines for several northern towns. Uh, The cases spike from three to 132 in a matter of days. Uh, It's now closer to 200, making it the largest outbreak outside of China. Iran has confirmed its first infections last week, uh, 43 cases and 12 deaths. Finance ministers and central bank governors, the world's largest countries, are pledging to enhance global risk monitoring and warned the coronavirus posed a serious threat to global growth. Now, can I just can I make a crass point? And it, it is a it's a it's a crass point. And I know going into it, it is a crash point for which uh, crash crass point for which some progressives would blow me up for it. But you know, and I know that the Democrats will use this as an opportunity to go against the president if this situation worsens or it causes an economic recession. They will seize on this and blame the president, even though it is China causing the problem uh, with its handling of the coronavirus. Never let a crisis go to waste. It's one of the, the, the slogans the Democrats rely on. Never let a crisis go to waste. If the coronavirus becomes a crisis, you know and I know the Democrats are going to use that crisis against the president, which is why this White House needs to be all hands on deck in dealing with the situation. I have gotten several people who texted me that they um, – that they made the Natchitoches meat pies over the weekend. If you want that recipe, I sent it out, but you can still get it. Uh, what happens is you text recipe to three, three, seven, 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 and you'll get a text message back asking for your email address. And when you send your email address, you get an email back, uh, with a link to all the prior recipes, all of them, uh, in addition to the Natchitoches meat pie recipe. Um, I, 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 I got a, I, I I have to tell you that I am befuddled by a lot of the conspiracy theories out there on the coronavirus and also a lot of the pushback on reasonable questions on the coronavirus. And, and the reason I raise this is because, if you will recall, Senator Tom Cotton raised questions about the coronavirus and did it come from a lab in China. There is a research laboratory in China. And in the research laboratory, they have uh, experimented with coronaviruses. This is not a disputed fact that there is a bioweapons laboratory in Wuhan where the virus came from. And that bioweapons laboratory does experiments with the coronavirus. Here's Tom Cotton. Maria, the situation is very grave, in part because, as you say, China was lying from the beginning and they're still lying today. And also because there are so many unknowns about this virus. For example, how many people one person can infect once they have the virus, the extent to which it's contagious before one is symptomatic, or the mortality rate. That's why I've been saying for almost a month now that an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, to quote Benjamin Franklin. 
one and why the president was so smart to ban travel coming from China um, just a couple weeks ago so we didn't have more than 20,000 people landing in our country every single day from mainland China. That was, by the way, to the president's credit there. Now, here's the thing is there is a woman who tweets out about China. And you you will recall, I I presume, that China has been uh, excoriating Tom Cotton, as has the Washington Post and the New York Times, excoriating Tom Cotton for suggesting that maybe this virus came from a lab in China. Uh, There is a woman who tweets about China. Her name is Jennifer Zing. She is a YouTuber. She is followed, I am told, very reliably by our national security uh, team because she pushes out a lot of stuff in, from China uh, that is, they say, accurate. And she notes that uh, there is an article from a Chinese government website that is now saying the coronavirus and SARS, another coronavirus, were lab-made by the United States to kill Chinese. And that Ebola was made by the United States to kill Africans. COVID-19 is the name of the the coronavirus. They're calling it now. And Jennifer Zing is pushing out the story that from a Chinese website, they're claiming that the United States manufactured uh, COVID-19 and SARS in a lab to kill the Chinese. And what she says is, is I'm, let me read you what she, she tweeted out and then she commented on that tweet. I need to explain this. I don't agree with the article, but the world needs to see what the Chinese communist party is telling Chinese citizens uh, to incite hatred towards the United States and the West. Also, they're kind of admitting COVID-19 is lab made. In fact, the New York Post has a report out that it is most governing bodies are concluding, in fact, that this was an accidental release from that Chinese uh, laboratory. Again, Tom Cotton suggested this. The senator from Arkansas suggested this, and the Washington Post blew Tom Cotton up and said he was peddling conspiracy theories. And it is increasingly likely uh, that COVID-19 is lab-made. And you've got the Chinese Communist Party admitting it is lab-made, but claiming it's made in an American laboratory designed to kill Chinese. Now, where do we stand on this? Well, uh, I've got the numbers for you. There are a lot of people who want to know what the totals are. Let me give them to you. Right now, there are 79,441 cases. 77,150 of those are in China. There have been 2,620 deaths. The flu, for perspective, the flu has killed more people already this year than the coronavirus. In fact, more than 100 kids in the United States have died in the last two months from the flu. Far more deadly than this, but this continues to spread. When we come back, I want to give you the the census numbers, if you will, uh, uh, country by country, where this virus is and some of the responses from these countries. Before we move on, we got a lot of other news about Bernie Sanders and more when we come back. Hello there, it is Eric Erickson here. The phone number, if you want to be a part of the program, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. You should know I send out a, a daily email with all of the news that you as conservatives need to know. I sort through all the trash so you don't have to. 
uh, give you my thoughts on the news and, and stories that are relevant if you want to subscribe to it. Uh, the number to text for everything is 33777. The word to use is show, S-H-O-W, text the word show to 33777 and you will get subscribed uh, to the daily email I send out. Also a great way to support the show as well. Um, growing our email list actually helps us because I embed an ad in the email and the more people who get the email, uh, the more ad revenue is generated from the embedded tasteful ad. It's, it's I actually use an ad service. Believe it or not, uh, I could get paid more for the ads, but let's be honest here. If, if you subscribe to your standard conservative newsletter, you see a bunch of garbage ads for healthcare cures and gold and that stuff drives me crazy. So I use a different service where you're not going to get those silly ads. Um, so I don't make as much money as I could uh, by ads in the email, but you subscribing helps. So text show to 33777. Now, uh, I want to give you the, the uh, audit numbers on the coronavirus. And there's a caveat here you need to know. The number in China is 77,150, but that's the reported number. We don't actually know how many people in China um, are infected, and we don't know how many people have died. And if you believe the reports of Chinese citizens who are uh, who are posting stuff on the Internet that, that gets out of China, the death toll and the infectious rate are far, far higher than what the Chinese would have us believe. And there have been some suggested reports. You know, the Chinese operate concentration camps. And most of those concentration camps are filled with a Muslim minority called the Uyghurs. Uh, they are in western China. And there are some reports that the Chinese are allowing the coronavirus to infect uh, the concentration camp populations and the people in there are being left untreated so that the Chinese can ethnically cleanse the Uyghur population without actually having to do the dirty work themselves. They're letting the virus do it. Uh, so these numbers uh, are probably low. In fact, uh, there are some people who suggest that the actual infection rate in China is, is upwards of a million people on a billion person population. That's, that's impressive. Uh, but here are the numbers, the official number from China, 77,150, 833 now in South Korea. And it appears that it was one woman from China, from South Korea, went to China, got the virus and then decided to go to church and spread it to the church congregation. And most of the church congregation got infected and then the church congregation spread it uh, from there. And, and Daeg New, I think, is the name of the city, and, and the city's on lockdown now as a result. There are 691 people who were infected on the Diamond Princess cruise line, uh, 157 people in Italy, most of them in northern Italy, 147 people in Japan. This scandal, the, this virus and the handling by the government of the Japanese government may bring down the Japanese government. There are 89 in Singapore, 79 in Hong Kong, 43 in Iran, 35 in Thailand, 35 in the United States, 30 in Taiwan, 22 in Australia, 22 in Malaysia, 16 in Germany, 16 in Vietnam, 13 in the UK, 13 in the United Arab Emirates, 12 in France, 10 in Macau, 9 in China or in Canada, 3 in India, three in the Philippines, two in Russia, two in Spain, one in Belgium, one in Cambodia, one in Egypt, one in Finland, one in Israel, one in Lebanon, one in Nepal, one in Sri Lanka, one in Sweden. All of those are people who traveled to China. Now, you're asking about the United States. How did it jump, jump from 15 to 35? Well, let me give you the United States audit here so you don't freak out about it. There are 18 people from the Diamond Princess cruise line who were transported back to the United States against the orders of the CDC. 
There are three who were evacuated from Wuhan. There are 12 that are otherwise travel related, and there are two person to person infections. According to the CDC, uh, most were repatriated citizens. There has been no community spreading in the United States. Axios helpfully adds, yet. There's been no community spreading. There are 43 U.S. states and territories that report 464 patients are under investigation. 50 have uh, a pending status, according to the CDC. Uh, This doesn't include people who've come back from the United States. Um, So there are uh, total people having been tested, 414. Total confirmed cases uh, are 14. Uh, and two people, person to person, 12 travel related, plus the updates, uh, that I just gave you. So, uh, there are people in Georgia, just so you know, who are in quarantine, who do not have the coronavirus, uh, but their quarantine was, I believe I read extended to be a 30 day quarantine. They're not leaving their home. They're self-reporting, checking symptoms. And the problem is that so much of the disease, the Chinese did such a bad job of letting anyone know about it. Uh, there are conflicting reports in the incubation time and the like. Now, that being said, there is a facility in California that came up with a cure for SARS, came up with a uh, antiviral vac- uh, vaccine for SARS, and it has come up with something for the coronavirus, COVID-19, they're calling it. Uh, and so you got uh, progress there. Now, here's the other thing. There are confirmed, and the number is probably vastly more than this because, again, we got to worry about China, but there are 2,620 people who are dead because of the coronavirus. Only 27 of those deaths happened outside of China. So 2,600 basically of the deaths out of the 2,620 came from China. The Chinese have handled this terribly uh, and allowed it to get out of, get out of control uh, and the United States thus far, we, we've taken precautions. And again, there are 35 people in the United States with coronavirus. Uh, two of them are person-to-person transmissions, and it happened to be spouse-to-spouse. Uh, it was women, two women who had gone to Wuhan, separate trips, separate people, separate parts of the country. They came back, they were elderly, they got the coronavirus and transmitted it to their elderly husbands. Uh, and then you've got the rest of the people are repatriated Americans who came back from China or elsewhere abroad uh, with symptoms. They're being quarantined. Quarantined and, and treated in the United States, we're also able to study the virus as a result. So uh, there is no reason for you to be panicked in the United States at this moment. Oh, I'll tell you when there's time to panic. I'll, I'll let you know. Uh, but there really is no reason right now. But you're starting to see this hurt you in the stock market right now. It is 10 for, 1043 a.m., as I'm broadcasting this, and the Dow Jones is down 898.61 points. And it is all over the threat of global pandemic from the coronavirus, in large part due to global reliance on China as a manufacturing hub. You, you know, by the way, where this benefits? Brazil. 
Brazil is increasingly being viewed as a place for uh, non-Chinese manufacturing. I, I got to think that given we've now had what the swine flu from China, SARS from China, and the coronavirus from China, uh, a lot of Fortune 500 companies are going to start thinking, hey, maybe we need to manufacture elsewhere. In fact, uh, Apple is announcing it is moving some of its manufacturing to Taiwan. Because Taiwan uh, is not suffering like China is. There, there are coronavirus cases in Taiwan, uh, but nothing near like China. And they're able to get the, their manufacturing facilities back up online there. But Brazil is increasingly becoming a player in manufacturing globally uh, from those who don't want to manufacture everything in China. And in the first part of this hour, I mentioned to you that uh, there are 150 antibiotics and, and other medicines in this country that are made in China. You know what else is made in China? The plastic saline bags that you get in hospitals, the, the saline supplies, a lot of those are made in China. In fact, it's very hard to find non-Chinese saline solutions. And uh, already I'm seeing reports that some of the American pharmaceutical companies are trying to re-up manufacturing within this country. That will raise prices because it's it's uh, most manufacturing in China is cheaper than manufacturing in the United States. But uh, this is becoming a national security issue when the Chinese uh, – and. The other issue here is what happens to the Chinese government? Now, the odds are that the Chinese government is a brutal regime. You don't get a lot of that in the American media, but the Chinese government is a brutal regime. And what happens when uh, the people in China have had enough of this? When the people in China are kind of flipped out about the utter collapse of the Chinese government's ability to keep them safe. I mean, one of the things we hear all the time from American elite about China is that the Chinese government, because they're authoritarian and command and control, they can snap their finger and get things done quick. You want a high speed rail built? Well, let's get it built. You want major roads built? Let's get it built. You want manufacturing plants? Let's get it built. You want an overnight hospital built in 12 hours to house 2,000 victims of coronavirus? We can get it built. You hear this all the time. I mean, just a couple of weeks ago, there was a story about, oh my goodness, China in one day, the Chinese military was able to build an entire hospital with 1,200 beds for coronavirus patients. Never mind the place is going to fall down in three weeks. There's a fascination and an infatuation with the Chinese system. Now, I, I do want to tell you on the markets, I, I'm my buddy Chris Burns, I, I, I should I should get him on the phone, um, but he's talked about this enough. Uh, for those of you who are panicked at the decline in the stock market today, don't panic. This is the coronavirus. This isn't a correction, and even if it is, uh, if you have invested as a young person in the stock market, don't worry. If you are near retirement age, you should have shifted more out of risky stocks anyway, more into bonds and other stable investments. Uh, don't let this freak out, uh, freak you out when it comes to the market and what's happening. Um, if you're towards retirement, you need to do retirement planning. And by the way, the, the, this hour is not sponsored by Dynamic Money. But seriously, uh, you should consider calling Dynamic Money. Uh, they are my financial advisor. Chris does it. Uh, Chris and his team uh, guest host here and, and make sure my 401k is as risky as I can be at my age and, and adjust it accordingly. They can take care of you if you're concerned about it. I, I do really recommend them, uh, whether they're a sponsor or not. In fact, I got to tell you, you know, so I, I, 
we crashed at Chris's house for a little while on Saturday night to clean up after having that woman throwing up on the plane next to me for so long. And we were talking about it, it, it's it's amazing to me the number of companies that force you into a 401k. And, and it, I shouldn't say force you into 401k. You want one. Uh, but then they don't give you any education about it. That's, that's another thing Dynamic Money does is they will come to your company. If you're a business owner, you want to give some value to your employees, uh, get Dynamic Money into your company and let them start educating. Just, just let them sit there for an hour and explain to employees the benefits and values of 401ks and how to do it. Cause you get a 401k and I'm, I'm always stunned by the number of people who don't actually understand what all is involved with a 401k, but it's to your company's advantage to make sure you're secure in your 401k and understand what's going on. That That's a great way to use dynamic money. And again, they're not sponsoring. I'm just saying, uh, I should have gotten Chris on to talk about this, but he's been on enough to talk about this and dynamic money is so good at educating people about 401ks. There's no reason to panic about your 401k. There's no reason to panic about the market if you're doing things right. If you're if you've got a proper risk balance for your age and the market and all that, uh, it, that's a good thing. But we're going to because the media and the Democrats want to undermine the Republican Party, because the media and the Democrats want to hurt the President of the United States. I guarantee you we are about to see major sensationalist headlines from the press about the coronavirus and economic decline in this country, and they're going to tie it to Donald Trump. But what did Donald Trump do? One of the things he did is when the coronavirus became a problem, he shut down American flights to China quickly, far quicker than other countries did. One of the reason there are so many problems in Europe and and parts of Asia is because they did not sever air ties to China like the United States did. The president largely sealed us off as a country from flights to to Beijing and Shanghai and increasingly so with with CDC monitoring the flights coming in and out of Asia to make sure people aren't coming back with fevers and, and symptoms of the coronavirus. He actually did a good job in that. And that's one reason we're not seeing massive spikes given our global traveling in this country. We're not seeing massive spikes because they did that. And there were a lot of people, by the way, who at the, at the time said the president was overreacting to, to ordering all those flights shut down. Now, before we get out of here, there's some breaking news you need to know about. This, this is worth knowing. Katherine Johnson has died. Uh, if you have not seen the movie Hidden Figures, you should see the movie Hidden Figures. She was one of a group of the, the black uh, female mathematicians at NASA and its predecessor that the movie Hidden Figures was about. Uh, super, super impressive uh, there's a great lead in the New York Times uh, about Katherine Johnson. It has just hit the wires. Uh, she, uh, they asked, this is written by uh, Margaret Fox. They asked Katherine Johnson for the moon and she gave it to them, wielding little more than a pencil, a slide rule, and one of the finest mathematical minds in the country. Mrs. Johnson, whose death at 101 was announced Monday by NASA, calculated the precise trajectories that would let Apollo 11 land on the moon in 1969 and after Neil Armstrong's history-making moonwalk, let it return to Earth. A single error, she well knew, could have dire consequences for craft and crew. Her impeccable calculations had already helped plot the successful flight of Alan Shepard, who became the first American in space when his Mercury spacecraft went aloft in 1961. The next year, she likewise helped make it possible for John Glenn and the Mercury vessel Friendship seven to become the first American to orbit the earth yet throughout her 33 career year career in NASA's flight research division. And for decades afterwards, almost no one knew who she was. 
and we all do now, thanks to Hidden Figures. What a great movie that was and a fantastic story and prayers for her family, uh, an American hero for sure. Hello there. The phone number is... 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Happy to have you with me. Uh, don't forget you can text the word SHOW to 33777, and every weekday I will send you an email with all the news you actually need to pay attention to as conservatives. Uh, I spin, In fact, I, I mentioned this. Uh, so I was in Colorado on Saturday at the Broadmoor, which if you've never been to the Broadmoor, I'd never been to the Broadmoor. I'd never been to Colorado Springs. I've been to Denver before to, to uh, Steamboat, but never been to Colorado Springs. It was gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous. And uh, the Broadmoor, it's it's a it, its sister uh, hotel is is Sea Island. Uh, it, the Broadmoor is owned by Phil Anschutz, uh, who also did Walden Media, the Narnia films, among other things. Uh, and they've got uh, it, it's a fantastic hotel, but then they've got a family site uh, up in the mountains near Pikes Peak uh, of a they got a dude ranch and stuff. It was really neat. And I, one of the things that I was talking about out there was how. We as a country have gotten so fixated on Washington, D.C. for the be-all, end-all for all solutions that we have largely ignored the fact uh, that most of our solutions are going to come at the local level. There is a story that we need to talk about. In fact, tomorrow I'm, I'm going to have on people to talk about the story. There's a growing issue locally here in Georgia where uh, citizens have become advocates for their own health. Uh, this is in Juliet, Georgia. It is in middle Georgia, just north of Macon. Uh, there is a Georgia Power coal plant there, and increasingly citizens in the area are finding um, dangerous chemicals in their drinking water, their groundwater. It looks like it's been polluted by coal ash, uh, and there are a number of cancer-causing chemicals and, and uh, spikes in, in cancer in that area. And so one of the citizens is going to come on here tomorrow to talk about the situation. I've also invited on uh, someone from Georgia Power to talk about the situation and get their take in it, um, make sure we, we represent both sides equally here uh, and, and get a sense of what overall is going on. But we ignore so often uh, the need to take care of our own in our local society, and we rely so heavily on Washington, D.C. to do everything these days. And that was part of what I talked about in Colorado, these conservatives out there, is that uh, we need to be less obsessed with Washington, D.C. and more obsessed with what goes on in our local communities and how to improve our local communities. But we can't avoid Washington either. Because Washington is so dominant in the politics of our age and the news out of Washington is so dominant in, in our age. And we got a presidential election coming up. Um, and I want to go back to Bernie Sanders and Mike Bloomberg when we come back. Having, we, we've also got Georgia news. I do want to talk about some Georgia news out there as well. Uh, there are things percolating in the state to pay attention to, including... Uh, the fact that we are the fifth most sinful state in the nation. Did you know that? The fifth most sinful state in the nation, according to some website, uh, Wallet Hub. Now, I'm sure it is just designed, of course, to uh, get us buzzing. And yeah, I'm totally going to, to talk about it. Uh, we come behind Nevada, Texas, Florida, and California. Georgia being the, the, the has more vices than the rest, we rank number one in jealousy 
in the nation, number six in lust. Well, that's kind of disappointing. We should rank higher there. We'll discuss when we come back. I want to take a quick time out to thank a sponsor this week. And I got to tell you, I'm a fan because of what Blue Vine does, being a small business owner. You know, so the radio show, you're listening to my podcast. It is of my morning radio show. You know, I don't even make a salary off this thing. I'm still trying to grow advertisers. And so thanks to Blue Vine for that. But it's a small business. And I've got other people to that I've got to pay on payroll. I've got expenses I've got to meet for satellite and costs uh, for distribution, editing, production, things like that. So I I'm not actually making a salary on any of this stuff. Uh, as a result, I am a small business uh, looking to grow, looking for advertisers, and I understand what it means to reinvest. I also know what it means to need access to capital. And running a business, I mean, it is a challenge. Securing extra cash flow doesn't have to be a challenge. Blue Vine helps you get a line of credit. It's fast, it's easy, it's simple. There are so many headaches in running a business. Uh, you shouldn't have to worry about stuff like that. Blue Vine's actually an easy, fast way to help support your business growth with a line of credit up to $250,000, whether you need the money to offset upfront costs, secure inventory, pay an unexpected expense through Blue Vine, you can help yourself and your business stay secure for any reason. There's no fee to set up your line of credit. Blue Vine never charges maintenance or prepayment fees. Applying is very easy. You just go to getbluevine.com slash Eric. For listeners of the Eric Erickson Show, Blue Vine is offering a special limited time promotion, a $100 gift card when you take out a loan or open a line of credit with Blue Vine. You go to getbluevine.com slash Eric, E-R-I-C-K, for more details. All you have to do is go to getbluevine.com slash Eric and apply. It's quick, it's easy, it's a meaningful way to help your business in as little as 24 hours. The promotional offer, it's subject to terms and conditions. You can find those at getbluevine.com slash Eric. And thank you to Blue Vine for sponsoring the show. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show. The phone number, you want to be a part of the program, 877-97-ERIC, E-R-I-C-K, 877-973-7425 is the phone number. Translate it out that way, 973-7425. A just programming note for you guys. Let me make sure I've got the date right here because it is coming up quick. It is... Uh, March 4th, March 4th, I will be speaking to the University of Georgia College Republicans in Athens that evening at 630. Uh, So I'll be in Athens on next Wednesday. Uh, speaking to the college Republicans there, I'm excited about heading up to I like going to Athens. It's fun. Uh, Now, we got stuff to talk about, but I want to begin here. Um, Wallet Hub, uh, designed, I'm sure, to get buzz for Wallet Hub. They, they do these sorts of things, and I'm totally falling for it because I just kind of find it funny. They, they've done a sin index on the states. Uh, they compile it uh, va- based on anger and hatred, jealousy, excesses and vices, greed, lust, vanity, laziness. Uh, and and it, what exactly are they talking about on these sorts of things? Well, for example, uh, Georgia rates number one in jealousy. Uh, and in jealousy, what the, the ranking is on is property theft. Uh, Georgia ranks uh, number 14 on anger and hatred. Uh, that is uh, personal crimes against body. Arkansas is number one there. Uh, excesses and vices, of course, uh, is, let's see, which one ranks number one there? Kentucky, allegedly, the manufacturing of all the bourbon. Uh, 
But Nevada is number one. Texas is number two. Florida, three. California, four. Georgia, five. Uh, Tennessee, six. And Louisiana, seven. And I got to say, Louisiana should rank higher. And the whole reason this is coming out is because Mardi Gras is tomorrow. And being a native of Louisiana, I'm a big fan of Mardi Gras. And... Well, it is, it's, it's going to be interesting, um, to see what happens at Mardi Gras tomorrow in Louisiana. Unlike Venice, they are not canceling Mardi Gras in Louisiana. In fact, uh, not only are they, they not, uh, doing it, they are, um, all the alcohol that people will consume is going to be alcohol that will kill the germs, I suppose. Uh, in any event, uh, there you have it. We're sinful, sinful, sinful. Now I, I want to. Actually, on a serious note, discuss the the Russian intelligence matter. Um, and to begin with, I want to go to Josh Holmes, who was speaking to Chris Wallace on Fox News Sunday. In terms of the president's reaction, we have spent the last three years making unfounded allegations about Russian collusion, about his campaign in 2016, about his efforts ever since. We had endured a Mueller report. We've endured countless hearings. I don't think we should be the least bit surprised that the president has a lot of anxiety about a classified briefing coming out once again in the same fashion that we've seen over three years to allege that somehow Russia has chosen him as their favorite candidate. And sure enough, in, in a day later, we find out, well, Russia's also uh, uh, concluded that Bernie Sanders is a favorite candidate. Remember, Tulsi Gabbard was a favorite candidate. I think this is an example of incredibly dangerous and reckless reporting. I think our intelligence community would be well served to focus on trying to stop the threat rather than cover this as if it's a horse but race. Are you saying reporting by the media or reporting by the intelligence community? I, both. I think that the media's coverage in sourcing this over three years, not just this incident, has been very quick to jump into conclusions about what Russia is trying to do. I think very clearly what Russia is trying to do is undermine confidence of American elections. And it's hard to see how they could be more successful than this exact. I want to pick up. Now, that was Josh Holmes uh, talking to Chris Wallace on Fox News Sunday. And here's Robert O'Brien. He is the president's national security advisor. Well, I have not seen the finding. I think what he's referring to and what folks are talking about is a briefing that took place last week at the House Intelligence Committee uh, that was leaked to the press. And and I have not seen that report. I get this secondhand. but from Republican uh, congressmen that were in the committee, there was no intelligence behind it. I haven't seen any intelligence to support the reports that were leaked out of the House. But the White House was briefed on February 14th. Were you not in that briefing when the president was informed? Well, there's no briefing that I've received that the president's received uh, that says that President Putin is doing anything to try and influence the elections in favor of President Trump. We just haven't seen that intelligence. Uh, if it's out there, I haven't seen it. I'd be surprised if I haven't seen it. The leaders of, our, uh, of the IC have not seen it. So, uh, I, again, I don't know where this is coming from. I've heard these rumors and these leaks from uh, Adam Schiff's committee, but I, I have not seen them myself, and I've seen no intelligence long. Now, the, the premise of this conversation is the New York Times report from last week that uh, an American an advisor, Shelby Pearson, who is the point person for looking at election disruptions in this country, advised members of Congress on the House Intelligence Committee that Vladimir Putin was trying to help Donald Trump again. The Democrats, of course, are firmly committed by faith to the fact that uh, Vladimir Putin helped him in 2016. 
And the media is abuzz. The New York Times circulated the story. Jake Tapper of CNN was one of the very first people to push push out a rebuttal saying, wait a second, not so fast. Uh, the This has nothing to do with Russia trying to help the president. In fact, there's no evidence of the Russians trying to help the president. Uh, it is the Russians trying to sow discord in this country. There's a CNN report up this morning Jake Tapper participated in. Let me read you this. The U.S. intelligence community's top election security official appears to have overstated the intelligence community's formal assessment of Russian interference in the 2020 election, omitting important nuance during a briefing with lawmakers earlier this month, three national security officials told CNN. Now, this is notable because the New York Times had five sources, all of them Democrats in Congress. The official Shelby Pearson told lawmakers on the House Intelligence Committee that Russia is interfering in the 2020 election with the goal of helping President Trump get reelected. The U.S. intelligence community has assessed that Russia is interfering in the 2020 election and has separately assessed that Russia views Trump as a leader they can work with. But the U.S. does not have evidence that Russia's interference this cycle is aimed at reelecting Trump. The intelligence doesn't say that, one senior national security official told CNN. A more reasonable interpretation of the intelligence is not that they have a preference. It's a step short of that. It's more they understand the president is someone they can work with. He's a deal maker. Pearson's characterization of the Russian interference led to pointed questions from law. Lawmakers, which officials said caused Pearson to overstep and assert that Russia has a preference for Trump. One intelligence official said Pearson's characterization of the intelligence was misleading, and a national security official said Pearson failed to provide the nuance needed to accurately convey intelligence conclusions. The Office of the Director of National Intelligence, where Pearson is a senior official, did not respond to CNN's request for comment. The president has periodically been briefed on Russian interference in the 2020 election, but was upset when he learned of Pearson's characterization of the intelligence, in part because intelligence officials had not characterized the interference as explicitly pro-Trump. One national security official said Russia's only clear aim is to sow discord. Russia interfered. Now, here's the here's the nugget from CNN going back to mythology. Russia interfered in the 2016 election with the aim of helping Trump get elected and damaging then-Democratic nominee Hillary Clinton's campaign, the intelligence community concluded, writing in its post-election assessment that Putin and the Russian government developed a clear preference for President-elect Trump. And while it is not inconceivable that Russia is once again looking to boost Trump's candidacy, three national security officials said the U.S. intelligence community does not have evidence to make that assessment. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you really believe that the Russians prefer Donald Trump to a Soviet apologist? Do you really believe that the president of Russia, who used to be the head of the KGB in the Soviet Union, uh, has a preference for Donald Trump, a man who has armed Eastern Europe against Russia, versus Bernie Sanders, a man who has repeatedly apologized for and defended the Soviet Union? Do you really believe that they're going to go for Trump over Sanders? In fact, uh, and I asked Hogan Gidley about this. If you're just tuning in, Hogan Gidley was here at the very first segment of the show this morning, the 9 o'clock hour. And I asked Hogan Gidley uh, about this. And he noted, as CNN and others have noted, one of the reasons the president and his team are so angry is that Bernie Sanders was briefed. Bernie Sanders, more than a month ago, was briefed on the fact that the Russians were interested in him. That's actually a pretty big deal that Bernie Sanders was briefed and kept his mouth shut, didn't say anything. That's, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of surprised. It's, it's, well, let's go to, to, um, I think it's, it's, if Philippe 
Reigns or is it uh, Julian Turner on Fox News talking about this? What surprises me is that Bernie has known for a month and decided not to share it. That I find odd and somewhat irresponsible for a couple of reasons. First, this should be a team effort. This should be a bipartisan effort where, you know, today is the 40th anniversary of the miracle on ice. Uh, you weren't born. I thankfully was too young. But it was the do you believe in miracles is when we beat the Russians. Somehow, you know, 40 years later, we're talking about half the country not believing the Russians want to do any harm to us. Bernie should have told either his competitors or the DNC or someone to say being on the lookout. And the real problem is, if you remember, the last two weeks, yeah. we've been talking about Bernie's online supporters and yeah. whether they have been too aggressive. Those two things are connected, and that's problematic. Ah, uh, yes. Now, here's the thing. Sanders has known this for more than a month, and the president's team was not briefed about it until after word leaked in the New York Times about what had been said to Congress. Uh, it appears Shelby Pearson is part of the screw-up, and now the director of national intelligence is being ousted in favor of Richard Grinnell. And the president, according to Axios, wants to now purge the deep state, purge the Trump White House, purge the administration of disloyalty. You know, he's, he's not wrong. Uh, and I have a hard time faulting the president for this. And the reason I have a hard time faulting the president for this is because, in large part, the president is right. There have been people in this administration from the get-go who have been out to undermine him. Yo, you can't really deny this. You really can't. Uh, since the beginning of this administration, there have been people on the inside leaking about the president. Remember, we had the the independent contractor who leaked the transcript of the, the president's call with the prime minister of Australia. You had people inside the White House leaking about the president's calls with foreign leaders. You've had people inside the White House. Uh, I mean, the whistleblower, for Pete's sakes, the, the whistleblower. And a lot of others working to undermine this president from inside the administration. I myself am concerned with this White House pushing too hard to put people into power who backed the president from early. And the reason is because many of the people who backed this president early in campaign 2016 were aggrieved failures who couldn't get a job in Republican politics because they were incompetent. And here comes Donald Trump and the grifters decided to try to make money off Donald Trump. And well, guess what? He got elected. And many of these grifters were perceived as loyalists when they weren't really loyalists. They had nowhere else to go. They were from the island of political misfit toys and they landed with Trump because no one else would hire him and they got lucky with Trump and they've been taking advantage of him and these people don't necessarily need to have roles in government. They've been shut out for reasons not because they're disloyal to the party but because they're hacks and idiots. Concurrent to all of that though, there are plenty of good people who warm to the president who probably should be there. Many of them are. But concurrent to all of that, let's not forget the way the civil service works. If you're a political appointee of a person, of a president, and you've served for a certain number of years, you can embed yourself into the career civil service at the end of a term. And a lot of Democrats who worked for Barack Obama as political appointees embedded themselves into the civil service where President Trump couldn't fire them and have actively used their positions to maliciously try to undermine the president. That is just a fact. You may not like it, but it's a fact. And the president has every right to get those people out of the White House, out of the Pentagon, out of the State Department, and out of any other place he can. 
because they are not only undermining him, but they're undermining the president of the United States' ability to trust the people around him. And when you undermine any president's ability to trust the people around him, you undermine the president's ability to do his job. And I would take that position, whether it was a Democrat or a Republican in the White House, the president of the United States, regardless of which party he belongs to, has the right to be surrounded with people loyal to him to give him candid advice without it leaking to the New York Times. And if you can't understand that, that's on you. It's not on the president. Do you know who the real winner of 2020 is? That would be Mike Bloomberg's consultants. Uh, they're the real winners here. And, and Tom Steyer, to a degree. Steyer, there are all sorts of questions about Tom Steyer buying votes in South Carolina. Turns out he joined the board of a bank uh, that is connected to one of James Clyburn's kids and is uh, renting uh, for way more money than it's worth a building from another of Clyburn's kids. At least the, those are the press reports today. Uh, Steyer spent a lot of money. But Bloomberg really is spending a ton of money. And Bloomberg is spending most of his money on ads. And Bloomberg's consultants get commissions. So in radio and TV, you've got net and gross ads. Uh, so, for example, if you tell someone that uh, running a month's worth of ads is $10,000 and it's net, uh, that means it's $10,000. If you tell them it's gross, well, then you're going to take 15% off the top uh, so that the consultant can charge the client $10,000 and you get paid uh, 15%, uh, you take 15% off the total bill. <laughs> that matters uh, in, in advertising. And Bloomberg's consultants are getting their commissions. You know, Barack Obama in 2012 put all of his media consultants on the salary, on salary. Uh, and putting them on salary, it kept his costs down for advertising. It was actually very smart of him to do as a as a candidate. And those media consultants were essentially told, yes, uh, you will not make as much money, uh, but when I get reelected, you will be rewarded. And they did it. Well, Bloomberg's keeping them all on commission. And man, those people are making just tons of money. I got to play this uh, for you. This is from Chuck Todd on Meet the Press this Sunday talking about Bloomberg. A lot of this has to do with Michael Bloomberg as well. And one of the things, Betsy, we, we talk about all of the lack of preparation of Michael Bloomberg at this debate. I want to isolate his closing statement. The closing statement is something you prepare in advance. You have one minute. You know you're going to have one minute. Number one, he didn't use his entire one minute. But here's an excerpt from it because it's just surprising to me. Take a listen. Look, this is a management job, and John, Donald Trump's not a manager. This is a job where you have to build teams. The people that we elect, and it's not just the President of the United States, they should have experience, they should have credentials, they should understand what they're doing and the implications thereof. We shouldn't just say, oh, nice person, gives a good speech. We should say, didn't do the job and you're out of here. Betsy, that was, he, he had more time. Everybody else used, knew their one minute, had it timed. It's the elevator pitch, they knew what they are doing. This told me he doesn't have a message. And to say it's a management job for a party that historically has been fueled by labor is a little bit of a head scratcher. You'd think someone might have said, maybe don't use the M word when you're making a case to these voters. In addition to that, Bloomberg has very much been insulated from having to answer hard questions for this entire process. He's barely sitting down for any interviews with reporters. As a reporter, I'm a little biased, perhaps. But look, candidates who sit down for tough, challenging interviews do better in the debates because they're used to being outside their comfort zone. Bloomberg was totally in his comfort zone until the moment that was the most important. Uh-huh. You know, I, I've said this before. Primaries are actually a good thing. 
you you run take let's just tie this directly into georgia here uh the leffler collins race there is no doubt in my mind uh, that while the collins leffler race will consume resources waste resources divide republicans etc uh that it is forcing kelly leffler to get on her a game way quicker than she otherwise would be because doug collins is a charismatic dynamic politician he's a good guy he's a nice guy people like him he is great on the campaign trail he comes across as gregarious and and knowing what what he knows and uh, he's just he's a funny guy he talks very fast and, and he's very endearing and Leffler is going to have to be on her a game to compete on the campaign trail with him. And, and thus far, I think it is very notable. Her campaign has pulled a lot of her audio or a lot of her ads that have her speaking and now use a voiceover guy because she hasn't gotten to come for you. That's not to say she can. I think she can. They've got to find out a way to make her comfortable in her own voice and space. Uh, but Collins is and primaries are forcing Leffler to do it. Primaries are a good thing. And Bloomberg has run as if he's not accountable to the Democratic voters. And he is. And by the way, he's not even on the ballot yet. Not until March. And that's a problem for all of the Democrats in the race right now to try to stop Bernie. I've had enough of talking about politics for a little while. Uh, yeah, I, I do want to mention tomorrow again, just as a programming note, um, around the state, there is this growing issue. It is consuming the state legislature all of a sudden on coal ash, uh, in the Lake Juliet area related to, uh, to Georgia powers coal plant up there. Now you, you should know, I, uh, go up to Lake Juliet with my kayak often. Uh, I love to get on because it, it's, uh, there aren't, um, I, I, you've got some fishing boats up there, but, but it, the lake is calm. It's a beautiful area. I can get out there with my kayak and just, uh, unplug and, and not have my phone with me for a little while. I honestly, I get out in the middle of the lake, uh, take my camera sometimes on a dry bag, just to be on the safe side and take pictures of, of the birds and stuff out there. It's, it's fantastic. I love it. Uh, it's very peaceful. There is a big issue up there though, with coal ash, uh, it has become a priority in the legislature. All of a sudden, there are multiple bills up there. And tomorrow, I'm going to talk to one of the individuals who has been affected in the Lake Juliet area. And I'm also going to talk to a representative of Georgia Power about the situation. So be sure to tune in tomorrow. I, I, I want to step away. I've got stuff. I want to get back to Bernie Sanders if I have time. But I actually want to spend a few minutes on Mike Hughes. You may have heard the story about Mike Hughes. He is a, a rocket enthusiast uh, who was being chronicled uh, by uh, various publications and reality TV shows. He is dead. He died on Saturday in Barstow, California. He was making. He had made a rocket. Uh, again, he is a, a daredevil. And he has made multiple rockets in the past. It was his third launch of his rocket. And he was going to the apparently it, it ripped off a parachute can, uh, which deployed the parachute. It got caught in the thrust of the rocket. It took the rocket off course and it crashed. Uh, he was trying to get up to 5000 feet, uh, but then there was an arc and it just it's sad. He, he died on impact. Uh, in March of 2018, he soared 1,875 feet over the Mojave Desert before parachutes deployed and guided his rocket to the ground. Uh, he emerged unscathed at the time. 
and he had back pain in his back. Uh, he was glad he didn't chicken out. He launched in 2014 and went 1,374 feet. He was a stuntman previous to that. He holds the record for the longest limousine ramp jump, according to Guinness Book of World Records. He jumped a 6,500-pound Lincoln Town Car stretch limo 103 feet at uh, Paris Auto Speedway in 2002. Now, I bring all of this up because of why Mike Hughes, age 64, wanted to be launched in a homemade rocket. Mike Hughes believes the earth is flat. That's right. Mike Hughes believes the earth is flat. And he decided that he was going to make a rocket and go up 5,000 feet and see for himself whether the world was flat. Now, I can tell you, as someone who has been on plenty of airplanes, at 5,000 feet, it still looks flat. You've got to go much higher to see the curvature of the Earth. This was being documented with a reality TV. This is problematic and indicative of the culture where we are these days, uh, that no one did an intervention with this guy. Instead... Uh, they decided to get rating, TV ratings off this guy. It's like The Bachelor and all these others. I've got friends of mine who watch The Bachelor and The Bachelorette and all these reality TV shows, and and they keep up with it and give me the play-by-play. And, and I've actually got a friend of mine who rearranges his, uh, has rearranged his schedule to keep up with The Bachelor. I, I don't get the allure of reality TV because if you know anything about reality TV, it's not real. It is very scripted. It is designed for drama, among other things. And uh, it is unfortunate in my mind that uh, we, we've gotten to a point where we we are obsessed with the, the failings and sins and, and, and scandals of others, and we turn it into reality TV. And here's a guy who is dead because of that culture, because he wanted to build a rock, because he wanted to see for himself if the earth was round or not. Uh, part of this is his own arrogance and hubris. We, we shouldn't uh, subtract him from the equation. He is culpable in his own death. But it is silly that we got to this point at all. Uh, let, let me, let me read you now from Buzzfeed, a daredevil who espoused flat earth conspiracies died on Saturday after falling from a homemade rocket. Uh, Mike Hughes referred to as mad Mike Hughes, a former limo limo driver who billed himself as the world's greatest daredevil attempted to launch himself 5,000 feet into the air on a steam powered rocket. When his parachute failed in a video of the incident posted by freelance writer, Justin, Chapman, the parachute rips off immediately after launch, and then moments later, Hughes can be seen falling through the air and crashing to the ground in the desert as people present at the scene gasp. When the rocket was nosediving, he, he didn't release the three other parachutes he had in the rocket. Lots of people screamed out and wailed. Everyone was stunned when he crashed and didn't know what to do. The Science Channel, which had been chronicling Hughes's attempt for a show called Homemade Astronauts, confirmed the death. 
In 2018, Hughes told the Associated Press he wanted to do the launch because he believed the Earth was flat. Do I believe the Earth is shaped like a Frisbee? I believe it is. Do I want to know for sure? No. That's why I want to go up in space. Or do I know for sure? No, that's why I want to go up in space. On Saturday, a public relations representative disputed Hughes' flat earth claims, telling BuzzFeed News the argument had helped Hughes raise money, but he didn't actually believe it. We use flat earth as a PR stunt, period, says Darren Schuster. He was a true daredevil decades before the latest round of rocket missions. Flat earth allowed us to get so much publicity that we kept going. I know he didn't believe in flat earth and it was a shtick. In July of 2019 on Fox Business News, Hughes identified himself as a flat earth believer and said that the sun could not be 93 million miles from the earth while also joking about his cats and his former career dream of road managing the Spice Girls. In 2000, in, in August of 2019, he told Space.com his launch was inspired by President Trump and walked back earlier statements to the AAP that his plans were motivated by a desire to prove flat earth theories. I believe the earth is flat, but this flat earth has nothing to do with the steam rocket launch. It never did. It never will. I'm a daredevil. We now have people in the world who are playing us and playing for reality TV. You know, those of us who live in Georgia, uh, we're very familiar with the honey boo boo phenomenon here in Georgia. And we're very familiar with other aspects of reality TV. My kids, I've got an 11-year-old and a 14-year-old, and they now use the phrase YouTube famous. They watch people on YouTube, some of whom have gotten very famous. Dude Perfect, for example. Uh, My youngest has been desperate for a while to get an Instagram account, and I finally allowed him to get a private Instagram account. And... One of the very first accounts he followed was Dude Perfect, guys who became super famous and wealthy off of YouTube. And it is impressive. It really is impressive. But there are a lot of people who do things. The Dude Perfect guys are great, good Christian guys, uh, worth following, uh, very, very nice guys. But there are a lot of people now on our planet who want to become famous by doing sensationalized, stupid things and becoming YouTube or Instagram famous or Snapchat famous. And they prey on and play on the sensitivities and sensibilities of the public. And increasingly, the media does that as well. So here we have a guy whose agent says, despite his repeated claims uh, that he believed in the flat earth and wanted to go into, wanted to shoot himself up in a homemade steam powered rocket to see the curvature of the earth or not. It turns out it's not true. According to his agent, his agent says it's not really true. He didn't believe this stuff. He just wanted to to fundraise off of it. If he went on TV, including on Fox and and told all the blue hairs who watch the news that, Hey, I I actually, I, I'm a, I'm a guy who believes in the flat earth and helped me raise money to build the rocket so I can launch myself into space and see. I genuinely don't believe that the flat earth people are real. 
I think it's people who say crazy things to get attention. There are always people who say crazy things to get attention. My daughter tells me that there's a a kid she has been in school with who believes that the moon is its own light source. And that because his grandfather told him the moon landing was fake, this kid believes the moon landing is fake. That's right. Yeah, it, the moon itself glows, not not that it reflects the light of the sun, but it's its own light source and that we couldn't land on the moon. He'll be disabused of that. Uh, you know, my grandfather didn't believe that the moon landing was real. He didn't. He believed it was a Hollywood stage. And I, I know people who to this day don't believe the moon landing was real. But I don't actually know anyone who believes the earth is flat. Now, there are certain people who do. Um, I, I, I don't believe really there are a ton. I shouldn't say there aren't any. There are a few. There, there are people who believe all sorts of things. But there aren't a lot. And there are ways to disabuse people of those notions, to, to, to teach them things. But the media would rather make money off of them. And here comes Mike Hughes, who would like to make money off the people who believe the people who believe the earth is flat. And he took advantage of it. We, we live in a grifty grifter culture. You know, this is part of the, the issue. Uh, take Mike Bloomberg to, to draw this back into politics. Mike Bloomberg, I mentioned Mike Bloomberg, his consultants are getting millions of dollars to run a bunch of ads across uh, the Internet, on YouTube, on uh, on on other platforms and uh, now on TV across the nation. Uh, Mike Bloomberg running all sorts of ads and, and it, it, it's grifting by his consultants. He's not spending his money wisely. At this point, he's not even spending his money to ensure he's gone up in the polls. Yes, he can have a measurable impact there. Uh, with increase in the polls, but he hasn't won a delegate yet. He's not on the ballot until Super Tuesday. Or take some of the Republicans out there. There are so many grifters on the right these days uh, who want to shake people down, shake the Trump administration down, who who, who uh, claim to fame they became YouTube famous or Twitter famous by supporting the president. I, I read a story about one Trump guy who became famous on Twitter and decided he needed to, to get a crowdsource fundraiser to move to Washington, D.C. to be close to the Trump administration and actually use the money to buy himself a place in Miami. And people were horrified to find out. But seriously, what did you expect? We live in a grifty, grifting society. I, I have turned down opportunities because I just think it's wrong. Um, you know, listen, I could make millions of dollars tomorrow if I went out and started a political action committee to beat Mitt Romney in Utah. Conservatives are so mad about Mitt Romney voting against the president in impeachment, they would gladly give me money and I could use 90% of it to pay myself a salary and 10% to pretend to do stuff around. This happens all the time. It happens constantly. I, I Half my day is spent advising people that you are being taken advantage of by some purported hucksters or some actual huckster in a purported conservative movement. The grifters are real. The, the, it is part of society now. It is part of reality TV. Here comes this guy trying to make money off of people by saying, I believe the earth is flat. Help me build a rocket to get into space. Um, how much money did he, uh, that he raised went into the rocket? We live in a society where everyone wants their 15 minutes of fame. Where humility is no longer a virtue. If you are a humble person, society thinks you're weak. You know, what's old again is, is what's old is, is new. 
you know, one of the reasons that the the Romans treated Christians skeptically in the early Roman uh, rise of Christianity in the Roman Empire and why Christians were persecuted is because Christians exercised humility. And in Rome, braggadociousness was was natural. Suing people was natural. When uh, Scripture admonishes you not to sue, it, it's essentially saying, "Don't be like the Romans," because the Romans uh, to sue was uh, was blood sport. It was spectacle. You went to court, you did a big show, and and people paid attention to you. And, and here come the Christians saying, "No, we're we're not going to behave that way." And that was deeply weird to the Romans. The the Christian humility was something that the Roman Empire was opposed to. And those people were so weird and behaved so far outside the mainstream, it led to their persecution. And here we are again in in our currently pagan society. We have lost the idea of humility. Everyone wants to make a quick buck. I got to tell you, after sitting next to a woman for four and a half hours on a two-hour flight, puking her guts up, I want to be rich too so I can fly private. I want net net jets, but but I don't intend to scam people out of money. And that's where we are these days is so many people just want to scam everyone else out of money, a get rich quick scheme, get YouTube famous quick, make a lot of money scheme. All is fleeting, all is vanity. And now we got a guy who did that and he's dead by doing it. And the media, interestingly enough, made sensational headlines and money off of running the stories about this guy. And it's just kind of sad to see that we have come to this as a society, uh, but it's completely expected a society that has propped up the Kardashians for years. Of course, we would get to this point where a guy tries to make a rocket to see if the world is really flat uh, live for TV and he dies. Yep, you can text recipe to 33777. You can also text the word show to 33777. That will get you uh, on the daily email that I send out. I write an email every day for conservatives, the news you need to know. Uh, And also you can get a link to the podcast by texting show to 33777. Uh, This is such a great uh, story. Sometimes you have a food craving and you'll do anything to satisfy. That's what happened to members of the cross-country track team at Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute in Troy, New York on Saturday. The team, which had the week off, decided they wanted to celebrate with lunch from Chick-fil-A. The only trouble is the closest Chick-fil-A is an hour and a half from campus. The team knew of a Chick-fil-A located in Albany in the Albany airport, but the restaurant sits beyond the security checkpoint. So team captain Vincent Petrino hatched a plan. The RPI senior figured if the whole team pooled their money, they could get a cheap one-way plane ticket to get him past security so he could get lunch for the group. The cheapest flight Petrino found was a one-way ticket to Fort Lauderdale for $98. So the 18 team members pitched in $5.50 apiece. Petrino bought the ticket at the airport counter, passed through security. At the airport Chick-fil-A, he filled his teammates' orders, which amounted to 15 chicken sandwiches, 15 large fries, 13 orders of chicken nuggets, and a bag of cookies and a lemonade. He drove the food back to campus, and the team enjoyed it. The total bill... $227.28 plus the price of the plane ticket that made it possible, all of which came out to be about $18 per team member, a small price to pay to satisfy a food craving. Uh, (laughs) That's great. 
And you know the left is now going to attack the track team as a bunch of hateful bigots for going to Chick-fil-A. You know it's going to happen. The intolerance on the left. And by the way, I got to say, and I wanted to spend more time on this today, and and I'm sure I'll get this tomorrow. uh, I've got so many friends of mine who in 2016 were with me in not voting for President Trump. And I was an early adopter of, of finally saying, you know what, I, I'm going to vote for the guy in 2020. He's not who I thought he was in, in 2016. Uh, he's now got a record to run on, and his record is way better than I expected, so I'm going to support him. And a lot of my friends, no, bad character, et cetera, et cetera. It's, it's still not good. Don't want to support him. And now they're starting to say, lots of them, hey, you know, I may have to vote for him if Bernie Sanders is the nominee. Now, there are some who are like, oh, no, the Republican Party now needs to burn to the ground. It's the party of Trump. We, we need to support Bernie Sanders and have the Democratic Party taken over by the socialists. Yeah, why? Why? You, at this point, for some people, it really is a matter of vanity and pride. It really is vanity and pride for some of these people. They hate the president so much, they're never willing to acknowledge that he actually has done a lot of good in his policies for this country. They just want him gone. They can't accept that the winds have shifted. And uh, so now here we are in this country dealing with this situation. And uh, you got a bunch of people saying, oh, I'm going to vote for the socialists. But actually, I suspect more people will vote for Donald Trump who are on the sidelines saying they never vote for him, that they will, in fact, wind up voting for him with Bernie Sanders as the Democratic nominee. And in fact, I think there's a prevailing wisdom right now that the suburbs will shift back to the president and the Republicans. And I think that's true. And I think that's a good thing. God bless the Democrats for helping the Republicans win.